All right. Good job, everybody. Last service didn't go so well. <laughs> we were up and down and all around, so it was good. All right. Let's focus our attention now to the Word of God. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. This is God's Word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will lead us, that you will guide us and teach us. Jesus, thank you that you have made a way for us to not only hear your word and receive it, but to put it into practice. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, if you're new today, welcome. I'm glad you're here. We're in a series on the Ten Commandments, and we're learning how relevant the Ten Commandments are to the Christian life. For many of you, that might have been a question. Why are you preaching on the Ten Commandments, and what do they have to do with our lives as Christians? Well, by the time we get through this series, you'll know all about that. But if I was to put a kind of a subtitle to the Ten Commandments as a series, it would be that the Ten Commandments teaches us how to love God and to love others the way God intended. It's kind of the subtitle to the whole series. Whether you're new to the faith, you're seeking God and wanting to know what a relationship with God is all about, or you're a mature believer, the Ten Commandments are for you because they really do teach us how to love God and how to love others the way that God intended. Now, we're going to go through each commandment in order. We did an introduction. We've done commandment one. We're now on to commandment two. We are to worship God alone. The first commandment, have no other gods but the one true God, leads us to the second commandment. This one true God is the one we are to now 
worship only. Now, if we follow the progression of the commandments, one of the things that commandment number one does for us, it establishes the who. Who deserves to be number one in our life? Who deserves to be the God of our life? The one true and living God. The second commandment, however, establishes the how. How are we to worship and interact with the God whom we are to love and serve? Commandment one, who we are to worship. Commandment two, how we are to worship the one true and living God. So here's the deal. We made these little bookmarks. I hope you grabbed one on the way in. They're the Ten Commandments in a summary version that will help you memorize them and know them in order. Now, I got a few requests from online saying, hey, can you make this available to us? Absolutely. I'm sorry they weren't available to you last week, but they are this week. You can simply go to the alexandriacovenant.org website, click on bulletin, and you can get your own printable version of the Ten Commandments. So if you have some, they're good to share with your friends and neighbors. You know, it'd be a good entryway into, hey, you know, Jesus, here's his commandments. Okay, that like, probably don't do that. Not a great entry into sharing your faith, okay? But you all should have one of these in your Bible. Put it in Exodus 20. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll memorize them together and then apply them to our lives as time goes on. But one of the things you might notice about the Ten Commandments is that different faith traditions place different orders to the commandments. Now, um, the way that I'm going through the commandments places commandment number one is to have only one God in your life. Commandment number two is to worship that God only. Some other faith traditions will combine those two and make those the first commandment. Well, if they do that, then don't you end up with nine? How do you end up with 10 commandments? Well, what they do is they divide the 10th commandment about coveting and they make it two. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and then you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. And so this is the difference in case you're confused as to why some faith traditions um, will order the Ten Commandments one way and others will do it another way. I personally believe the order that I'm going through them right now is the way that they're intended to be viewed, and that's why I am leading you through them in this way. I also want to remind you as it relates to the Ten Commandments, as we talked about last week, is that we are to see them like a compass. A compass will help us identify true north. Jesus Christ is always true north. As a compass leads us in the right direction so that when we're lost, we can be found. The commandments are intended to identify our need for a Savior because of the sin in our life and then point us to true north, Jesus Christ, so that we can find the one who can save us from our sin. And then the uniqueness of the law is that once by grace through faith we're saved in Jesus, he points us back to the law, and he says, now this is how God wants you to live in a way that is best for you, so that you can live the way God intended you to live in a loving relationship with the creator of this world and the creator of you. So the law isn't bad. The law is actually good, and it's good for us because it teaches us how to love God, and it teaches us how to love others. 
Last week, I also connected the law to the gospel. And the link that hinges the two together is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law completely. And in him and only in him can we too faithfully and obediently fulfill the law. For if you ever try to live the law on your own apart from Christ, you will fail all the time. But only in and through Christ can we be successful in living the life that God intended for us, the best life that God has for us. And so Jesus is the link between the law and the gospel that provides a way for us to live God's best for us. What makes him that link? Well, remember, he is the creator of the world and everything in it, including us, but he's also the redeemer. And because he has redeemed us or bought us back, he gets to establish the rules for our relationship. We don't get to do that. Very popular theologian named A.W. Tozer He's well known for this quote, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. I totally agree with him. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. Today, as we consider the second commandment, I want you to think about what you think about God because it matters and it will help you understand whether or not you're on track obeying the second commandment or failing to do so. Now, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing numerous times is taking groups of people to Israel. Uh, why Israel? Well, it's the land of the Bible. I mean, it's a really cool place to go. And one of the ways upon which we go to uh, Israel is uh, with this idea that we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And, and so we do that. We go to all these spaces and places where Jesus lived and where he taught and where uh, he, he was, and, and we connect with that. But we also connect with all the stories of the Bible, and, and all of a sudden the Bible comes to life, and it becomes colorful and, and, and 3D, and, and we get proximity figured out, and we get culture and context and, and all these things, and, and we never read the Bible the same. But one of the things that I do when I'm there with people is remind them often that it's not the spaces and places that we worship. It's the person of Jesus Christ we worship. What does that have to do with the Ten Commandments and specifically the second one? It has everything to do with it. Because the second commandment demands that we worship God the way God wants to be worshiped and no other way. Another question I want you to sit on this morning that really gets to the heart of the message, it's this, what does God expect with my worship of him? What does God expect with my worship of him? The first commandment forbids us to worship any false god. The second commandment demands that we worship the only true God in a worthy manner, in the way that he said we are to worship him. So if you're taking notes this morning, point number one is going to be, don't make a big God small. Don't make a big God small. 
Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5a, which is really the first half of the second commandment. I'm dividing the second commandment into, into two different sections. But this is how it reads. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any uh, likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Well, at first glance, you can say, as you evaluate your worship of God, well, that's great. I'm getting this one. I don't have any trinkets on my dresser or in my living room that I'm bowing down and worshiping to. And, and so therefore, I got this one figured out. I've got this one nailed. Well, is that what this one is really all about? Is it all about the carved images in our life that we bow down and worship? It is about that, but it's about so much more. It's also about the carved images that we have of God in our mind as we imagine who God is. Now, can you say with the kind of confidence that you just said to yourself, well, I don't have any idols I bow down and worship, so I must be good. Can you say with confidence that God is your sole object of worship? Can you say with confidence that he is your audience of one? Can you say with confidence that you are worshiping God the way that God intended for you to worship him? That's the question that got me. And it still has me. And I'm going to be honest with you today. It's messing with me. Because we got to be honest about this. If we're going to really worship and respect God the way that he intends to be worshiped and revered. See, idolatry is loving and worshiping anything or anyone other than God. That's an easy definition that we can all accept, right? That's an easy one to accept. Idolatry is, is loving and worshiping anything or anyone other than God. We talked a little bit about this last week, about our heart's affection in marriage is only to be to our spouse. But anytime we love anything or worship anything in any way besides God, we're committing adultery and we're committing idolatry against God. And therefore, we're failing in the second commandment. Now, before we get too far into this, I want to remind you of God's grace in the life of a believer. We can't do these on our own. We need Jesus. Because if all we did was had our own to get through these commandments on, all we would realize is how often we fail. Today is not about your failure. Today is really about picturing God's grace in your life, but aligning your life so that you can obey the commands of God, which demonstrates your actual love for God. You need to think about that with me today. So if idols are carved images and then some, what are some of the maybe idols that we could identify in our life today? How about the idol of sex? That's something a lot of people have their heart's affection set on. 
If you have a problem with pornography, sex is an idol in your life. We just have to say it that way. How about the idol of money? Remember, Scripture says you can't serve two gods. You can't serve God and money. Is your heart's affection towards your piggy bank, your savings account, or the stuff that you collect, your wealth in this world? We talked about kids as being idols in our life. How about sports? How many of you have sold out your life and your life savings so that your children can be in sports? Whatever you sacrifice to so that you can live the life you want to live is an idol in your life. That's hard to say because I too am guilty of that. But we have to think about this. How many of you have sold out to your career and made your job your God, the idol in your life? See, here's the thing God wants us to do with idols in our life. He wants us to get rid of them. He wants us to get them out of our life. Idolatry is more than the worship of false gods. It also includes worshiping the one true God incorrectly. We have to make this connection. In Exodus chapter 32 we read about how the Israelites responded when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments from God. Now remember, Exodus 20 are the Ten Commandments that Moses received from God on Mount Sinai. Let me reframe the context. God had delivered the Israelites from the land of Egypt where they were slaves for 430 years. He brought them into the wilderness. They set up camp at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses went up to the top to meet with God to receive God's law. But he didn't come down soon enough for the Israelites. And so they started complaining. They started asking Moses' brother Aaron to, to make an idol for them, a God for them that they could worship. I mean, after all, Where is Moses? He was our leader. He's now gone. We've been delivered and we want a God that we can worship and we can serve. Aaron, why don't you make for us an idol? Why don't you make for us an object that we can worship, an object that we can serve? So you know what Aaron does? He succumbs to the pressure of what the people wanted. And he takes all their gold and he puts it together and he creates a a calf an image of a a bull because bulls are powerful and strong and mighty and it became a God that they could worship. Listen to Exodus chapter 32, verses four and five. It says, and he, this is Aaron, received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a, a, a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. (laughs) They just made the God who led them out of Egypt into a golden calf that they could see and feel and touch and worship. Well, what's the big deal about that anyway? I mean, after all, If Moses wasn't coming down and they weren't connecting with God, 
I mean, isn't it reasonable to expect that they could have someone to follow? How about the irony that while Moses was receiving from God the commandment to have no other gods but me and to worship me the way I deserve to be worshiped, the people of God were down creating images and objects that they could follow that did nothing for them at all. How many times have you created God into something that you wanted him to fit in your life because you couldn't hear him, you couldn't see him, and you longed to follow him. So, so, so you made him into something that was tangible, that was reasonable, so that you could claim your allegiance to God. What's the problem with symbols or images that, that, that are created to help us to worship God? I'm going to give you the, the, probably the easiest answer to that question. The first problem with it is that God said to not to. <laughs> Isn't that enough reason? God said to not to. Additionally, there's, there's no image, there's no object, whether we create it with our hands or imagine it in our minds that could ever accurately represent who God really is. And therefore, when we create God to be something he's not, we reduce him to be who we want him to be, which is a really big sin. So let me ask you this question. Who is the God that you serve? Who is the God that you worship? Do you really worship the one true and living God? Or is the God that you serve and the God that you worship something other than the one true and living God? What about symbols that we have in the Christian faith that might become problematic, might become idols in our life? How about the cross? I mean, after all, it's just a symbol, right? Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with the cross. In fact, we have three of them on the wall right there. But when the cross becomes an object of worship in your life, it's now an idol. I have family who are of another faith who sometimes believe that they can't pray to God without holding a cross in their hand. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Because we've made God to be someone or something he's not. I can assure you that the cross is only a symbol and it represents only a part of who God is. It only represents the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no one on that cross because Jesus isn't dead. He's not on the cross anymore, he's alive. And we can praise God for that. The reality that we all have to deal with when it comes to Jesus and the cross is not about him being on the cross, but what he did on the cross for your sin and mine. And because of what he did demands our worship of him 
because he did for us what we couldn't do. He died in our place. He took our place and he took upon our sins so that we could be freed from it so that we could even have a relationship with God upon which we can worship him truly. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18, it says, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? (laughs) Maybe some of you have the picture of Jesus on your wall. You know, that, that, that picture, he's got brown flowing hair and the blue eyes, nice beard, Not as long as mine, but it's nice, right? It's not what God looks like. It's not what Jesus looks like. I used to like that picture. Be very honest with you, I don't like that picture anymore. I'm not going to tell you what to do with that picture. But I'm going to say that I think you should pray about it and you should ask God what you should do with that picture. There's nothing wrong with the picture. But if that picture has become an idol in your life and you somehow think that that's Jesus on your wall, that's a problem. You need to deal with that problem by getting rid of that idol. The second thing is that we are to worship God as he has revealed to us. Worship God as he's revealed to us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5b through 6, it says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God has revealed himself to us in three ways. Number one, through creation. Romans 1, Paul writes all about this. He says that God's revealed himself to all creation so that no one in this world can live with an excuse that they didn't know God, that he existed. The second way that God has revealed himself to us is through the Holy Scriptures. It's where we learn about the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, who God is and what he's about and how we can have a relationship with him and what that looks like and what that means for our lives. But there's a third way that God has revealed himself to us, and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. While we must be careful not to create images to represent God, symbols, objects, things of that nature that become idolatry in our lives, we also must pay attention to how we imagine God to be. Have you ever heard somebody say it, or better yet, have you ever been guilty of saying, to me, God is like... Fill in the blank. Listen, whatever you put in that blank has caused you to sin against the holy God. You've committed idolatry. Whenever I say, I think God is like, I've committed adultery. God hasn't given you, he hasn't given me the opportunity, the right or the privilege to define him in any way. In fact, he is the one who has revealed himself to us. And he says, I want you to believe me for who I am, who I say I am, and what I've done for you. One way we get to know God is through his word, 
And as I mentioned, his word reveal his attributes to us. Just in this verse that I read, I'm going to read it again so you can hear it. We find attributes of God. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Well, what attributes of God do we discover here? God is a jealous God. He's also a judge. He is generous. He's merciful. And he's loving. But does that give us the full picture of God? Absolutely not. This is not all that God is. God is this and so much more. This is why objects that become idols are insufficient and imaginations of God are insufficient. And when we fill in the blank, I think God is like is insufficient because God is so much more than we could describe. God is indescribable. God is holy. God is just. God is a God of love, and he is a God of wrath. And we live in a world who says, I will not love and serve a God of wrath. I will only love and serve a God of love. And therefore, if God has any injustice in him because of his wrath, which I get to decide whether it's just or not, I get to reject him on the basis of how I want him to be. That is a problem. It's called idolatry, and it's a sin. I'm just calling it out. Yeah, and I think it's worth a worthy praise. So here's the thing. God desires and demands that we know him for who he says he is and not who we want him to be. If we don't know God as a God of love and wrath and you put them together, then we don't really know the true God because he's both of these rightly. He's both of these justly. He doesn't abuse his judgment or wrath, and he doesn't abuse his love. He does what he does perfectly all the time. God is holy. He's just. He's gracious. He's eternal. He's so much more. When we don't worship God for who he is and the way that he wants to be worshiped, we diminish his glory and we deny the truth about who he is. Listen to how Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 5. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. What does this tell us? If we want to imagine God for who we want him to be rather than accept him for who he is, If he was willing to do this in the first century, I promise he's willing to do it in the 21st century. He will hand us over to the lusts of our desires. We will make him into something he's not. We will create things made by our hands, our imagination. All the while, we will not worship the true creator. And therefore, live a life of sin, which leads to a life of lawlessness. Do you wonder why in Western civilization, 
We are living in a society and a culture that is an absolute chaotic mess and in a state of lawlessness because we've eliminated the Ten Commandments from everything around us and we've decided to define God for who we want him to be and who we think he should be. And therefore, God handed the Western civilization over to their lusts of their heart and now we have a mess on our hands because we're worshiping all kinds of things like ourself more than we are the one true and living God. God demands our worship. And he's not afraid to hand us over to the lies that we believe in this world. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie, Paul tells us what we can expect. Church, we got to be different than the culture. We got to be different than society because what God will do in handing people over is what we're seeing all around us. And the only hope is Jesus. And you know the only hope. And so the world's looking to you for the only hope that you know. And it becomes our job to share Jesus with others. No image of our imagination or object we create can ever rightly represent God. The only representation he's left with us and for us is his son, Jesus Christ. And this is what he says about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. First John 5, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Lastly, we're to worship God correctly. You all know the story about Jesus meeting this woman at the well, Samarian woman, They're having a conversation, and she ends up asking him a question about worship. She says, hey, my people suggest that we are to worship God on this mountain, Jerusalem, while your people, the Jews, say that we are to worship God in Jerusalem. Which one is it? Where are we to worship God? Which is the right place? Jesus answered her by saying, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. One of the things that we need to be careful of is making the worship of God about a space, place, or a tradition. I want you to hear me. This space and this place is not the only place to worship God. God is not an object to be worshipped. He's a person we're to love. If you think you can only worship God at church, you have a heart problem. If you think that you can only worship God in a space or a place that you can connect with God, you have a heart problem. If you want to hold on to traditions of worshipping God as an act of worship, thinking that somehow that is a special thing for God, you have a heart problem. One of the things that I grieve, and I believe God grieves, believe me, far more than I do, is the fact that we have a church that has two different styles of worship. I mean, we have traditional worship, and then we have contemporary worship, and and our church is divided on that. We love each other and get along, but 
there are those who just can't, you know, we just, I say this because I love you. I don't say this to be a jerk. But you know, all those instruments, I don't think we can worship God with that. Then we have, you know, all those people in those instrument services. Man, when hymns played those old songs, like I, I can't worship with that. Can I just be honest? Check your heart at the door. If you think you can only worship God through a style of music, you have a problem. And it's in your heart. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Not through a tradition we hold on to or a special way of worshiping him. We're going to continue to do traditional and contemporary worship styles. Because I get it, people enjoy that but let's not make that our worship. Let's make sure that we worship Jesus Christ. Let's make sure that we don't leave thinking that, oh, I didn't have a feeling, I didn't have a connection with God, and therefore, that wasn't spirit-led worship. I'm sorry, I don't have a feeling many times I sing. But it's not about the feeling. It's not about the emotion. It's not about the tradition. It's about having a heart that is postured towards God in worship. Which, by the way, let me remind you what worship is. Worship happens when a child of God, having heard the word of God, submits to the spirit of God in order that they will obey the will of God. We can worship through music, and we can worship through prayer, and we can worship through fellowship, and we can worship through the reading of Scripture and through Bible teaching and preaching. There's many ways we can worship God that far exceed music. Let's not minimize God into a box of music upon which our flavor is the flavor of God that we desire. I say this because I love you. A lot of times people think that the pastor should say what they want to hear and make them feel good. Well, I just happen to be one of those pastors who think I should say what God wants you to hear. (laughs) And sometimes it's uncomfortable for you. And sometimes, like right now, it's really uncomfortable for me. So let's make sure we don't succumb to worship of objects or imagination, emotion or traditions, but that we truly worship God as he desires and deserves. So how do we do this, really? (laughs) Well... Put you last, put God first, and worship God as he desires and deserves. Worship is an act of obedience to the word and the will of God through the spirit of God. One of the things that God says about us in worship is that when you obey the Ten Commandments, you are worshiping me. What in your life do you need to change today? as it relates to your worship of God, that will help your heart be more conditioned to rightfully worship God the way that he rightfully deserves? I can't answer that question for you. You have to answer that question for you. 
but please take time and sit with the Lord and get things right. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your grace and your love and your mercy. I pray, O oh God, that what we think about you, we recognize is the most important thing about you. That we realize that right thinking about God will help us to worship you, the only true God, in a way that you deserve and in a way that you desire. Thanks for your word to guide us and your spirit to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Dave.